0: Thank you all for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you all today. Um, if you have your Bibles with you or I, it's on the screen, um, I invite you to turn with me to our text today, which is in John chapter 15 verses one through eight. It's the reading of God's holy, inspired and inerrant word. "I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Thus thus ends the reading of God's word. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Let's pray. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity I have to share your word with my brothers and sisters here this morning and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight O Lord our rock and our redeemer in Christ's name I pray amen well it's summer now and I don't know what you guys have been up to this summer but I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to take my nieces to Disneyland And I hadn't been to Disneyland in over 20 years, and it was their first time to go to Disneyland, and so we were all really excited, and I was telling them, I told them before we went, if we go to Disneyland, you guys will have a magical, wonderful time. So I made them a promise. I promised them a magical, wonderful time if we got to Disneyland. And so we got to Disneyland, and I have two nieces, and one of them is five, and she had a wonderful time. And she, had a lot, she went on a lot of rides, she saw a lot of fun shows, a lot of good food, and her favorite part was taking photos with all those Disney princesses who are in that new Disney castle, and she also got treated like a princess. And so on the drive back home, she was saying, telling me, Uncle, you were right. You promised that I would have a magical time, and I did. Now I have a second niece who's about three, and she had a little bit of a different experience at Disneyland. She was a little too short to ride some of the rides. She didn't understand all the shows that we were watching, and basically by lunchtime she was so hungry and so tired from walking around all day that she just wanted to go home and take a nap. And so on the drive back home she told me, Uncle, you know you promised that I would have a magical wonderful time, and I I didn't. You were wrong. I didn't have a magical wonderful time. Now as an uncle I was really sad that only one of my nieces had a wonderful magical time even though I promised that they would both have a great time and that got me to think wouldn't it be wonderful if when someone promised us something that we would know for sure it would come to pass right wouldn't it be wonderful if when someone promised something we know it would it would come to pass and that's actually what Jesus does in our passage today he makes a promise to his disciples and he guarantees that will that it will happen Um, Our passage here is in the middle of the Gospel of John, what some people call the farewell discourse, where Jesus is talking to his disciples in their last meal together, not long before he's captured and taken from them. And so Jesus tells them a lot of important things to prepare them for the dramatic and seismic events that are about to happen. And one of the things he tells them and he exhorts his disciples to do is to remain in him, right? He promises that if they remain in him, they will be fruitful. And that's what I want to share with you all this morning. To remain in Christ and you will be fruitful. To remain in Christ and you will be fruitful. Now you might ask, that's a wonderful promise. But how can we be guaranteed that that's true? How can we be guaranteed that that will come to pass? Well, Jesus assures us of this truth by introducing three characters in this passage. And that's how we're going to break down the text today. And the first character is the preeminent vine. The second character is the pruning vine dresser. And third is the productive branches. Right? So the preeminent vine, pruning vine dresser, and productive branches. So first, the preeminent vine. The vine is the most basic element here in Jesus' metaphor in this passage. Right? He's claiming that he himself is the vine. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a lot of these I am sayings. If you remember, he's, Jesus says, I am the bread of life good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the last one of his I am sayings, right? I am the true vine. And every time Jesus says an I am statement, he reveals a little bit about himself. And here it's no different. Um, Jesus is saying he's not just any vine, but he is the true vine. Now, Israel at that time, they were very familiar with vine imagery. They were an agrarian society, so the vine was a very common plant where they were. Um, and they, the hist- an historian says that even in front of the temple, Herod had a gold, huge golden vine in front of the entrance. Um, and even at, at that time, vine imagery was printed on like coins, on pottery. So the Israelites were very familiar with vine. But Jesus, he's not just using the vine Im- illustration because the Israelites are familiar with it. But he's actually using this vine imagery because he's hearkening back to an Old Testament imagery where Israel was often symbolized as the vine or the vineyard. And so, for example, one of them is in Psalm 80. In Psalm 80, it describes how God brought a vine out of Egypt, how he drove out the nations, and how he planted that vine. So it's talking about Israel. It's a metaphor for Israel. Um, In other books in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Israel is also talked about as a vine, but probably the most famous passage is in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, a parable is told of Israel being figuratively planted as a vineyard. And there's an expectation for it to bear fruit. But unfortunately, instead of yielding fruit, the prophet tells us in verse 2, it yielded wild grapes. And wild grapes are small, they're sour, they're not good for making wine, they actually can cause a lot of weeds. And so, Isaiah describes how the vineyard is destroyed... And he explains the parable in verse 7. He says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So the fruit that the vineyard should have produced, righteousness, justice, it failed, and instead it produced bloodshed and outcries. So the vine of Israel failed. It failed to fulfill God's intention for it to be fruitful. And so Jesus, he's contrasting himself with the vine, with this vine. He is saying that he is the true vine. He is the one who fulfilled what God expected from his people. He is the real vine that will bring about fruitfulness for his people. And by identifying himself as a true vine, Jesus is taking responsibility, saying that the branches that remain in him will be fruitful. And so Jesus is the preeminent vine because he's the true vine. Where Israel failed, he has succeeded. But not only that, Jesus is the true vine is foundational for this metaphor because the bearing of fruit is entirely dependent on the vine. Right? In verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Right? Abide here means to remain, and only by remaining in, in the vine is it possible for us to bear fruit. And you can see this idea of abiding and remaining is very important in this passage. The words are repeated eight times. And here in verse 4, it's, it's used as an imperative. It's used as a command, right? Remain in me. Abide in me. Jesus, he's emphasizing, emphasizing to his disciples that remaining in him should be their top priority. And Jesus gives the reason why. He says why it should be such a top priority in verse 5. He's exhorting his disciples to remain in him because apart from him, they can do nothing. That's why the vine is so vital. That's why remaining in Jesus is so crucial. Right? If the disciples do not remain in the vine, if we do not remain in Jesus, we are not able to do anything. And it's important to note there in verse 4 and 5, there's a warning. This is the warning about the impossibility of bearing fruit without remaining in Christ. And that might sound kind of scary, kind of, wow, that's, that sounds really hard. If we, can't, if we don't remain in Jesus, we can't, it's impossible for us to do anything. And that's true, but I think what's more important that, for us to see in this passage is actually it gives, in this verse, is it, it gives us extreme confidence. It gives us extreme confidence because Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, It's interesting to note, Jesus is not saying that the vine enables branches who remain in him to produce fruit, right? But he's saying that they will bear much fruit. So the expectation to produce fruit is not only already there, there's not only already an expectation to produce fruit, but it's guaranteed, right? So in other words, the warning is there, right? It's impossible for us to bear fruit if we don't remain in Jesus, But the flip side is also true. The promise is also true that if we remain in him, it's impossible for us not to bear fruit. And so Jesus, the true and preeminent Vine, he's not only the foundation for which his people must rely on, but he's the guarantor. He guarantees their expected production. Now, I've said all this, and you might ask, well, well, why is Jesus telling his disciples about this promise? Why is he promising his disciples that they will be fruitful if they remain in him? Why does he stress this so much? Well, Jesus tells us why in the next chapter, in chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. We read the first eight verses of chapter 15, but if we kept reading all the way through chapter 15 and into chapter 16, Jesus warns his disciples of the challenges and the persecution that they will face once he's gone. He's warning them of what life will be like when, when he departs from them. And he's warning how the world will hate them. How the world will kick them out. How the world will even want to kill them. So Jesus, because Jesus knows the future persecution that his disciples are about to face, and how easy it will be for them to give up on their faith and to stop following Jesus, he is exhorting them to stay with him even though they will face these persecutions. Jesus is saying to them, when you face these persecutions, when you are going through suffering, remember to persevere in the faith, to remain in me. Don't fall away, because outside of me you can do nothing. Remain in me, because I guarantee your fruitfulness. And the same is true for us now. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he is saying to us as well. Maybe some of you are being mocked for your faith. Or maybe some of you are facing hardships and suffering. And you think it will be much easier, much easier for you to leave Jesus and just live life how you want to. Maybe you're going through a crisis in your life and you don't see how you're going to be able to continue to hold on to Jesus. Well, Jesus is reminding us here not to give up. He's encouraging us to remain steadfastly in him, not to waver or fall away. To be confident knowing that if we abide in him, we will be fruitful. So Jesus as the vine is the central tenant of this metaphor. But God the vine dresser here is not just a supporting actor. And that leads me to my second point. Right? The pruning vine dresser. This last I am statement where Jesus says I am the true vine. It's a unique I am statement because it's the only I am statement where it sheds some light on God The Father. In verse 2, Jesus says, um, God, the Father, he's the pruning vine dresser. And his role is important because it sheds light on this promise that Jesus gives that we will be fruitful if we remain in him. And in verse 2, John mentions two things the Father does as the vine dresser. The first is he takes away branches with no fruit. The second is he prunes branches to help them produce more fruit. And the first task is taking away branches, meaning there are branches which were originally part of the vine that did not produce fruit. Now you hear that and you're saying, wait, hold on a second. That sounds like the exact opposite of what you were trying to say, right? I've been trying to say that if you remain in him, if you're connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. So how come there are these branches that are not producing fruit? How can I say those who remain in Christ are guaranteed to bear fruit when Jesus here is saying branches in him did not bear fruit And we're taken away by the Father. Are these fruitless branches Christians who've lost their salvation? Does that mean it's possible for true believers to reject Christ and be cast away forever? Can you lose your salvation? The answer to that is a resounding no. If you're a true believer in Christ, you will be saved to the very end. John talks about this throughout his gospel. In John chapter 6, he says, I shall lose none that the Father has given me. And in John chapter 10, Jesus also says, I give my sheep eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them away out of my hand. So it's clear from John's theology, we're not to interpret these fruitless branches as apostate Christians, but then that leaves the question, then what are these branches that Jesus is talking about? Well, these branches who did not bear fruit, they were never really abiding in Christ. Sure, they were externally associated with Christ. They were connected to him, it looked like, from externally from the outside. But internally, they were not. In other words, they were never true Christians in the first place. Because there cannot be a true Christian without some degree of fruitfulness. There's a theologian that said fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity, and the alternative is dead wood. And this act of removing a fruitless branch from the vine... The disciples actually saw God do this. If you remember, we're in chapter 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples. But just two chapters earlier, in John chapter 13, Judas left to go and betray Jesus. Judas was removed from the group. And so Judas is a prime example of a fruitless branch. By all accounts, he looked like he was part of the vine. He was part of Jesus' ministry. He was one of the 12 disciples. But Judas was a dead branch removed by God from the true vine of Jesus, as it is impossible for a branch to truly be connected to the vine and not bear fruit. Right? If Jesus is the true vine, there cannot be a branch that's connected to him, that's truly connected to him, that doesn't bear fruit. Jesus is the true vine. He always has branches bearing fruit, unlike other vines, like the one we saw in Isaiah chapter 5 with Israel. Right? Jesus is the true vine. And so that's the first task God the vine dresser does. Right? He removes fruitless branches. But we said there's a second task that he does. He prunes branches so that they produce more fruit. Now it's hard to tell here in the English translation, but the word prune in verse 2, and the word cleanse in verse 3, they sound very similar in the Greek, and so there's a connection between pruning and cleansing. This process of cleansing by God, the vine dresser, is necessary for fruitfulness in Christian lives. Now, it's also, again, important to see Jesus does not say God is cleansing the branches. God is pruning the branches so they will have the ability to bear fruit. But he does it so that they will produce even more fruit. So, again, the expectation to produce fruit is already there. In verse 3, it's even more clear when Jesus says the disciples are already clean because of his word. Right, being clean here doesn't mean that the disciples have already attained some degree of spiritual or moral perfection. But Christ has so deeply bound his disciples to himself by his word that because of the fellowship they have with Christ, because they are connected to Christ, they are able and ready to bear fruit. And so Jesus calls his disciples clean in another passage in the Gospel of John. I said I talked about Judas in John 13. Well, again, in John 13, Jesus calls his disciples clean but he says they still need to wash, he still needs to wash their feet. And so the idea conveyed is the same Christ has already made his people clean and able to bear fruit, and God, as the vine dresser, he's not cleansing or pruning in order for us to start to bear fruit, but he is cleansing and pruning in the sense of eliminating sinful habits. And this gets at the idea of one's sanctification, where we are being renewed to the image of God, where we more and more die to sin. And live unto righteousness. So as Christians, we're continuously being sanctified by God's pruning. And this will allow us to bear fruit in abundance. I don't know if you've ever visited a vineyard before. Maybe here in California, maybe somewhere else in the world. And when you go and visit a vineyard, you can see all the fruit. All the luscious green plants in the vineyard. And it's so fruitful. But I don't know if you've ever taken... A chance to look at the floor of a vineyard before and a lot of times at the, on the ground of the vineyard there's a lot of prunings there's a lot of prunings left on the ground the beautiful gorgeous fruitful vineyard we go see only looks like that because it's gone through a painful pruning process and it's important to remember again the branches are not pruned so they can start to bear fruit right the branches are already bear fruit but they're pruned so they can even bear more fruit. They're pruned so they can be this luscious vineyard filled with fruit. And the same is true with our Christian life. As we progress in the Christian life, God prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. And pruning doesn't always feel good, right? Sometimes we ask, God, why am I experiencing this? Why are you allowing me to go through this? But even though the pruning process can be painful and sometimes uncomfortable, the end result is beautiful. Maybe some of of us might be going through a pruning stage in your Christian life right now. Maybe God is removing something in your life and it is painful. Brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged by this. But take heart. Trust in the promise that the pruning will result in you being more fruitful than you were before. And so we've talked about the preeminent vine, which is Christ. And we've talked about the pruning vine dresser, which is God. And that leads me to our last Third character in this vine metaphor, the productive branches. There are two types of branches being addressed here. Those who bear fruit and those who do not and are thrown into the fire. And we've already talked about the branches that are removed. They were never really abiding in the vine. But those who bear fruit are branches who truly do abide. Again in verse 4, Jesus says, As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And this theme abide is, again, repeated and emphasized. And it's hard to tell from the English, but there's a nuance that John is using when he says the word abide. He's conveying an idea of a repeated, a characteristic, a habitual action. In other words, John is emphasizing that the branches bear fruit because of their continual abidance in the vine, their repeated abidance in the vine, characterized by a life of faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Now, there's two potential misconceptions when we read this passage about the branches that I want to address. And the first misconception is the promise that Jesus gives those who remain in him, right? this promise that they will be fruitful. That's not the same as the prosperity gospel. It's not the same as the health and wealth gospel. right? The prosperity gospel says that if you're a Christian, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and famous. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. right? When Jesus promises us that we will be fruitful when we remain in him, He does not mean you'll be prosperous and wealthy and without any problems in life. We already explained that the process of becoming fruitful involves a pruning process that can be painful and difficult. So then what does Jesus mean when he promises that we will be fruitful? Well, he's talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a fruit of a changed life, a changed character, a changed person that is strengthened and nurtured by the vine, by Christ himself. So that's the first potential misconception. A second common misunderstanding is that sometimes when people read this passage, they think that Jesus is calling them to bear fruit. They, confu- they, they, they think that Jesus is calling them to be productive. And so when they read the passage this way, they can confuse this calling to bear fruit maybe as some sort of merit that allows them to stand before God right? Jesus says, if we don't bear fruit, we're thrown away into the fire. And so they think that Jesus is saying, you must bear fruit in order to be saved. You must bear fruit in order to have salvation. Well, it's true that Jesus does call us to be productive. And there are, there are other passages in the New Testament where Jesus says, we do need to be productive. But that's not what Jesus is emphasizing here in this passage. Right? We are justified by faith alone. We're not justified by works. And so we have to be careful when we read this passage to notice what the command is that Jesus gives. What is the command Jesus gives? He's calling his disciples, what he's calling his disciples to do in this passage isn't to bear fruit. Right? He's calling his disciples to remain in him, and by doing that he promises they will bear fruit. We're not saved because we bear fruit, we're saved because we're connected to Christ, the true vine. We're united to the one who has fulfilled where the old Israel has failed. We remain in and we have faith in the one who's lived a perfect, righteous, obedient life. He's credited us with that righteousness. And he gives us the nourishment and the nutrients that allow us to bear fruit that glorifies him. And that's what verse 8 of our passage is getting at. The result that comes out of the branches bearing fruit is that God the Father is glorified. Jesus says there, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Again, the order there is important. The word order there is important. Jesus doesn't say the branch bears fruit in order to become my disciple. In order to be saved. He says the branch bears fruit in order to show that the branch is already a Christian. True Christians will surely glorify God as they continuously bear fruit because they continue to remain in the vine. Do you remember at the beginning um, how I asked, wouldn't it be great if we could know that a promise given to us is guaranteed, that a promise given to us is assured? Well, the amazing thing that Jesus proclaims in this passage is that he promises we will be fruitful if we remain in him. And this imagery of the vine is a, it's a colorful metaphor Jesus uses to tell his disciples what the Christian life will look like once he departs. And this image of bearing fruit is prevalent in the metaphor. But again, it's important to remember that's not the command Jesus gives. Right? The command Jesus gives is to abide in him. And the promise is that this will issue in fruitfulness. Throughout the passage, fruitfulness is not a threat. It's a promise it's something that flows naturally. It's something that is inevitable when we remain in Christ. The preeminent vine and the pruning vine dresser, they guarantee we who remain in the vine will be productive branches. And Jesus gives us this vivid imagery not only to comfort his people, but to let us know that this brings glory to the Father. And if you believe that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, it's no wonder that this promise. This promise that Jesus says we will be fruitful if we remain in him allows our joy to be full. What a wonderful promise it is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, the true vine, who has produced the fruits of righteousness and obedience for us, so that by being connected to him, we may be nourished and produce fruit. Thank you, Father, for being the vine dresser who prunes us, who sanctifies us so that we may be slowly transformed into your image. Please help us to remember this promise of fruitfulness that you have given us, to not waver and fall away with the world, but to hold fast to you, the true vine. Help us to remain in your Son so that our joy may be complete. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.